First word that comes to mind is shagging, bonk, brooting, <laughs> procreation, the ins and outs of sex. <laughs> Hello, welcome back gang, Melody Thomas here with the last episode in this season of Bang. We are going to finish on a good one though, learning more about a thing that we've heard mentioned quite a few times over the seasons, sex positivity. Now this is another one of those things that sounds more straightforward than it is. Generally speaking, sex positivity is the idea that all sex, as long as it's healthy and explicitly consensual, is a positive thing. That's married sex, not married sex, queer sex, disabled sex, sex work sex, pornography sex, kinky sex, masturbation, all of it. Now sex positivity isn't a new idea, but it is currently having a moment. A little bit of history, the origins of the term are usually attributed to a guy called Wilhelm Reich, who was studying under Freud in the 1920s and used the words to describe the fact that sexuality is normal and healthy. Then in the early 80s, there was this debate within feminism that got particularly heated in the US. It was dubbed the Feminist Sex Wars. It's a complicated bit of history, but many feminists and leading feminist thinkers became passionately divided on a bunch of issues like pornography and sex work. So on the one side, there were those called the anti-porn feminists who are arguing that things like porn and sex work are tools of the patriarchy and they exist to exploit women and as such should be condemned. Then the others, on the other quote-unquote side, were the sex-positive feminists who saw those views as aligned with the conservative religious right and who saw sexual freedom as an essential component to women's liberation. Now, of course, it wasn't quite that simple, but that's enough to get us started. Since the early 2000s, sex positivity's gone mainstream, and that's aided by social media, which has made its messages easier to access, though, as we're going to hear, sometimes harder to engage with critically. Let's jump into our first story, but a quick warning, as you know, this podcast is about sex, so don't listen if there's sensitive ears around. Our first guest has spent almost a decade unlearning the sex negativity of her upbringing and working to free herself of the shame that was part of it. You've heard her on Bang before. She made her first appearance in the virginity episode in season two. So I am a 29, nearly 30-year-old virgin. And she's also turned up at a couple of live shows. After mm-hmm. you talking on stage in Auckland about cradling a penis in your hand, I was like, okay, we've got our girl. <laughs> what a find. We've been calling her Shelley. And in case you missed it or don't remember, a big part of why she found herself a virgin at 29 when she really didn't want to be was her upbringing. She was brought up Christian and virginity and purity were highly prized. The people in my background that were informing me, whether it was parents or church figures, thought they were being sex positive. It was just that there were parameters around the kind of sex that was positive and the kind that wasn't. I think even they would say that, oh, you know, sex is great, but only when it looks like this. And then I kind of took that on and even communicated that to other people myself and how I talked about it. But I guess I I had a couple of good friends along the way that when I saw how they were living and maybe the first few times I saw some of the choices they were making, my instinct was probably to judge. Like, oh, should they be, you know, having casual sex or doing whatever? And then the next thought was like, but actually they seem 
happy and empowered and they're making good choices. And even if they weren't, they still were okay. Like nobody struck them down because of it. By the time Shelley came to share her story with us, she was ready to start exploring her sexuality with other people. And in the months between then and now, she's been on quite the journey. Uh, The way I've been thinking about it is um, the year of living sexually, (laughs) which is probably problematic as well because you can be a sexual being, and and I guess I was one before that, but it has in the last year or less than a year really um, been me sort of figuring out what experiences I want to have and then being confident enough to ask for them and then having them and reflecting on them Mm. those ways. Of course, you don't need to be having sex to be sex positive. You can be sex positive and asexual or celibate. But as Shelley said, sex is something she wanted in her life. And by the time it did happen, it was a little later than she might have chosen for herself, but that also meant that she'd done so much thinking and reading and talking about it that her first experiences were really great. And people that I've talked to about it over the last year or so have said similar things, like you can't help but kind of, I guess, reflect on your own first time when you hear someone talking about theirs. You know, and the majority of them have been, it wasn't like that for me. And, you know, maybe they were younger or they were under the influence of something or they were with someone who they thought it was going to be forever or it was a one night stand or a random, you know, thing. But there's pros and cons to doing it at different ages. And I think if I had made some choices as a teenager, I wouldn't have had maybe the extra kind of 10 years to really feel guilty about it and then not feel guilty about it. These days, Shelley's exploring her sexuality, mostly without guilt. But every now and then, those same old negative thoughts do pop into her head. One thing I've just been reflecting on on is how I haven't had an orgasm from a partnered experience, you know, in any way. And I and I, I knew going into this that from penetration it's not common. A part of me is wondering if it's to do with not being 100% comfortable, even though I feel like I am. And then a part of maybe in the back of my mind I think, oh, well, you know, it's because you're not doing it with someone that you love, <laughs> that this little voice. Because it's not and your I, husband. husband. That's right. And mm. I, then I feel annoyed and I'm probably, that makes me probably overthink it even more, which mm. means it's not, likely to happen in the moment if I'm thinking about it so seriously. As she said just before, there are ups and downs to whatever way you choose to do this stuff. And for her, the upsides are that she's comfortable in her own skin, she knows what she wants, and even when one of the things that she wants is slightly out of her reach, in this case an orgasm from partnered sex, she knows better than to tie herself up in knots about it. Even without that, I've still really enjoyed all the experiences I've had. And I guess I didn't expect that. You know, there's kind of the the rhetoric in society that men enjoy sex and that women almost put up with it. And it's kind of the thing that you have to hold over them if you want to. And you might, you know, sort of lie back and think of England and they have a great time. And I hadn't really heard much about how number one, that women can have a higher sex drive possibly than their male partner, or even that there are ways to enjoy it even without that being the goal. You might have picked up on this already, but I'm really proud of Shelley. This is what sex positivity can look like. I'm really proud of myself and I feel quite liberated by the the choices and the different things that I've done and the way that I've sort of worked out what I wanted and how I wanted to 
be able to say that that's what I wanted. You know, that was a big step to begin with. It was even acknowledging to myself what I wanted. And then feeling like it was something I could ask someone else for. And so I am really proud of the way that I was able to do that. Thank you so much, Shelley. So far, so straightforward. But the picture is about to get a bit muddier. Uh, I'm Henrietta Fisher. I've just finished high school. I'm 18. Congrats for getting through that. Thanks. Yeah, it was an ordeal. (laughs) So I first met Henrietta maybe five or six years ago when my husband was teaching her guitar. She was 12 or 13. And he said, you've got to come meet this girl. She's so onto it. And we've kept in touch since. We're interested in a lot of the same kinds of things. So when I started thinking about this episode... Our conversations came into my mind and I asked her to talk with some of her friends about sex positivity and what it is to them and then come back and chat with me about what she found. The core aim of it is good and what it should be trying to achieve is positive. But, you know, a big part of sex positivity for young people kind of centres around acceptance of casual sex. It's hard to find a balance between it being really, you know, consensual and enjoyable for whoever's involved and coming from a place of real self-love and acceptance or is it through insecurity or is it through a subliminal pressure to perform in a certain way? There's this whole attitude of, like, get it, girl. Here's an example of that playing out in real life that Henrietta once told me. To set the scene, she's hanging out with some friends. They decide to go back to her house and this guy tags along. And... I guess it was quite it was quite obvious to everyone that he was like coming on to me. It was like a weird time for me because I'd like had a bad breakup kind of recently. And um my friends were just like so into the idea of me getting with this guy. I didn't feel in this space to kind of affirm or like deny whether that was what I wanted, like because I just wasn't sure, but I was just being encouraged to like do this thing. It was and like a get it girl, go yeah, get that dick kind yeah, of thing. One hundred percent. Yeah, sort of encouraging us to, like, be alone and stuff. And it ended up happening, but it made me feel terrible. Mm. And, like, I felt so anxious that, like, without the power to stop it because, like, it's supposed to be sexually empowering. It's it's such a weird thing. That's supposed to be meaning that I'm, like, doing right by myself. There is that implication that, like, being sexually active and, like, seemingly knowing what you want and getting it <laughs> is a part of being like a maturing like cool teenager but it happens to everyone at different times and people are comfortable with different things and they fit together differently Mm. and every experience is unique and we kind of emit that when we consume all this noise about surface level stuff it kind of just encourages bad and undesirable experiences for the sake of experiences something else that I noticed when I thought about like some of my friends particularly like female friends is that the culture of sex positivity encourages them to go out and be promiscuous and experiment with their sexuality, which is a cool thing. But I have, like, several friends off the top of my head who I can think of who have had really bad experiences with that. I know someone who, you know, she says that all of her experiences with sex have been displeasing or, like, not very enjoyable. And not because they've been, like, forceful or anything like that. They just haven't been enjoyable or made her feel good about herself. A lot of the ideas she sort of had around sex or that we have around sex derive from this fantasy and, like, pushing an ideal of how 
a woman should be. Maybe this feels familiar to you. In some ways, that story that we just heard is as old as time. But there is something about it that feels different, and it's kind of hard to pinpoint. But when things like this happened to me as a teenager, it was much more likely that my thoughts would have been about, you know, is he enjoying this? And for those who were brought up to think sex was bad but did it anyway, what I've heard is that it's more about, you know, I'm not supposed to be enjoying this. When did it become, I should be enjoying this? I'm calling Melissa Fabello. Hello. Hello. She's a sex educator based in the United States, and she wrote this really great piece for the website Everyday Feminism that's called Three Reasons Why Sex Positivity Without Critical Analysis is Harmful. Got it. So I started by asking her to talk about what sex positivity is and what's been lost in translation. Yeah, sex positivity is, on its surface, a really amazing thing. The idea is that many of us live in sex-negative cultures where sex is demonized, it's stigmatized, we're not really given space to explore our sexuality in healthy and happy ways. And sex positivity comes in as you know, a theoretical concept and says, well, no, sex and sexuality can be really beautiful, amazing parts of the human experience, and we should celebrate that. And we should give people the space to explore what sexuality means to them. And that is the awesome part. The problem, I think, comes in where people take a lot of different kind of movements or ideas at a very like surface level. In feminism, for example, we talk about choice feminism, which is this idea that people will say, well, because I'm a woman or a person of marginalized gender and I'm making this decision and I feel like it's empowering to me, it's automatically feminist. But that's not true. And similarly, with sex positivity, people say, well, I can do whatever I want, think whatever I want, feel whatever I want, but I'm sex positive, so it's fine. Mm, so it's the difference between being like, I wear makeup because that's my choice to do that, and I wear makeup understanding that I am put in a position where it is easier to wear makeup, plus there are parts of it that I enjoy. Yeah, it's the idea that we don't make decisions in a vacuum, yeah. that there are, that there are you know, other forces involved in the choices that we make. And this is how sex positivity becomes pressure. There is an expectation that we've created wherein women are expected to engage in sex act, like anal sex is a great example, that they're actually not interested in. But the idea is that the new normal is that that is what women want to do, that women want to be sexually liberated, which in people's minds means up for anything. And so now we create a whole new pressure for people to engage in activities that they don't want because now the quote-unquote like status quo or the, the new normal is that that's what you want. Okay, Melissa brought it up, so let's just quickly talk about anal sex. Of course, some women are into it, and sex positivity tells us that that's great. So long as everybody is consenting, people should feel free to explore whatever they're into, without shame. But somewhere along the way, this message got a bit distorted, and instead of, it's okay for women to enjoy anal sex, we got... All women are into anal sex, and if you're not, maybe you're a prude. Maybe you're sex negative. Now, research shows that anal sex is increasingly common among heterosexual people. And not everyone who's doing it is doing it because they really, really want to. 
I've read quite a few stories over the past few years from doctors who are concerned about an increase in female patients reporting injury from anal sex and from increasingly young patients. Research into anal sex among heterosexual young people in the UK in 2014 found that for young women, there was an expectation that anal sex would be painful and unsafe and that they would be coerced into doing it, and all of that was normal. Melissa talked about the thinking that can lead into this kind of thing. I'm not really putting my needs first. I'm putting my sex appeal first. Mm -hmm. And I want you to enjoy yourself despite what that does for me. And I think people, especially the more marginalized you are, really aren't given an opportunity to think about the things that they want. And unfortunately, I mean, I wish it wasn't true, but unfortunately, many young people get their first like understanding of, of sex from pornography that is like a form of sex education for people. Mm. And it's, that's not really helpful. <laughs> of course, we could do a whole episode on pornography. We could probably do a whole series on it. And there are some great series out there about the effects of porn. But some of the pressure to perform a certain type of sexuality comes from other regular media. And this is something that Henrietta brought up about what it's like for her and her friends being exposed to highly sexualized imagery all the time. You sort of start to try to emulate that or as a young person, you try to like play with what that looks like. You get a lot of young girls who go through phases of like posting quite sexy selfies. Yeah, yeah, that sort of thing. And like um, playing with that idea of being like a sexual creature and it walks a fine line with being a sexual object. I get confused about this when I see celebrities posting nude photos on Instagram. Mm. I tie myself in knots because I'm like, of course, it's up to you what you're doing with your body. But I just I don't know at what point it becomes self-objectification. Yeah. Yeah. And media, who's really making the decision about whether this is empowering or not? Remember recently, actually, the rapper Amine, he released a song in a video called Reel It In. And I remember being so shocked because it was like this reference back to like a sexy car wash video. It was all these girls who I think were various erotic dancers and strippers who they'd gotten literally doing a sexy car wash. And I feel like it was supposed to be interpreted as like kind of ironic and like they were having fun and it was for them. But then like he's the centre of it while all these like women dance around him. Something I also noticed is that none of the women were credited at the end of the video. This is something I go back and forth on all the time. Of course, I want all people to be able to express the full range of their sexuality, and I'm not about to be out here policing other people's bodies and what they do with them. But I do worry about the ways that young people might interpret these messages. I called another expert for this episode. Her name's Ginny Brown. She's a professor of psychology at the University of Auckland, and she's actually my aunt. So I call her all the time to help clarify my own thinking about complicated gender sexuality stuff. Like whether this kind of media is empowering or objectifying. I think the problem with that question is that we think about it as an either-or, but I think we have to think about it as a both. You know, we can think about empowerment in terms of individuals or in terms of aspects of an individual's life versus what that might mean for a a group of women, Mm. whatever that group of women might be, quite differently, you know, and that's where... That's classic kind of tensions have been around feminism as well, you know, particularly in kind of white feminist writings around, you know, are we talking about individual acts and individual choices? And we've become so kind of tied up in this idea that whatever I do, if it's my choice and if I feel kind of agentic and so on, you know, yay, empowerment. 
versus a kind of wider thing of seeing someone who is representationally important, like a Kardashian, as also contributing to a wider set of practices or a wider set of gendered relations in society that are overall not empowering, that reiterate patriarchal power relationships or that women's worth and value is through their their looks, their appearance, their sexuality and so on for men. Speaking of men, we are going to have a look at sex positivity for the Kiwi bloke soon. But before we leave our teenage friend Henrietta, she did speak to a bunch of guy friends as well. And some of what she came back to me with feels, again, pretty similar to the stuff of my teen years. Something that came up for like guys is this fetishization of wanting to lose your virginity and not being a virgin because it's cool and like not wanting to be of legal age when you lose your virginity. You know, it's more like like badass if it's not legal, which is kind of like fucked up to think about. I have also heard of girls who have felt sexual entitlement to guys or anyone because they're trying to be like sexually empowered and sexually active. They end up putting other people in uncomfortable situations, which even like it switches that traditional sort of power dynamic of boys putting pressure on girls. Yeah, and because it's something we're not used to, it's harder to negotiate. Yeah, and call Mm. out because the dynamic is different when it's a female demanding something, but it's still an issue. Yes, consent is consent is consent. Doesn't matter the gender. And it's probably about here that I started to wonder about some missing parts to the sex positivity conversation. And there's quite a few. As with other areas of feminism, the voices we hear on sex positivity are often straight, white, cis, able-bodied. The list goes on. And we're going to help fill in some of those blanks just a little bit soon. But there's another voice missing, and it's one you don't usually have to look too hard to find, and that's straight cis men. Now, I know why there aren't a whole lot of think pieces and columns about what sex positivity might look like for men. If we're thinking in the binary, female sexuality has historically been more oppressed. You know, women who enjoy sex are sluts, but guys who do are the man, that kind of thing. I'm just not sure we can consider what sex positivity looks like for straight women without asking men what it means to them. I reached out to a friend of the podcast, James Nikise. He's a comedian and now a podcaster himself, and he started with his early sexual experiences. When I was younger, I look back at all my sexual experiences, and they're very much not about shared positivity. I think I do jokes about this. A lot of it's about bragging rights. So while it's consensual, I wouldn't look back and go, those were all sex positive. Some of them were sex to tell people I'd had sex. You know, those things when I was growing up, I mean, I hope they're not still in high schools, but I guess they are, you know, the pilot's license, you got to tick off. What's a pilot's license? Pilot's license is where you had like like a little card, not it's a metaphorical card, okay. but of different sexual practices. Oh, yeah. And you get your wings. Like if you had sex with a woman on a period, you got your red wings. And this is the language you're hearing, 13, 14, where you're leading into your first sexual experiences. You are in a position where you're hearing about sex and talking about sex as a competition, as something that men have to do. Does this sound familiar, this idea that you have to be up for sex always? Hmm. Well, this is something that women are grappling with now. And obviously the power dynamics are usually different, but this is something that men have been dealing with for a long time. I think when I was 19, 20, 21, it's that first year of uni, when I was suddenly coming into my adult sexualness, 
I remember thinking about numbers a lot mm. and being shocked when the women who I'd be in long-term relationships with, their numbers weren't near mine. I was like, well, what were you doing? And then you go, you look back and go, oh, you were in healthy relationships. Mm. Now, that's not to rag on promiscuousness. Mm. There's absolutely nothing wrong with promiscuousness. So how are things different for James now? I think how you grow as an adult sexually is by learning a very important lesson, which is that people are individuals. I remember when I was young, you used to always talk about, yeah, you get a, like a bag of tricks. You know, you got your sex tricks. You do this and you do that and it drives the ladies crazy. And, and what you, you know, realize as you get older and as you have these conversations is that people are individuals and, and someone might like you doing this thing. And you're like, yeah. And then your next sexual partner, you do that thing and they're like, what are you doing? <laughs> I like it like this. And you go, ah, oh, okay. Mm. And people think it's about porn. And hey, look, maybe that's what young guys now are trying to be like. But back when I was in high school, it wasn't about being like a porn star. It was about being like the hero in the movie. Players in the movies, they knew all the tricks and they were real sexually confident. You go, well, that's what I've got to be. And mm. they, they just go, oh, well, he's sexually confident because he sleeps with heaps of women. They don't tell you what happens on that sexual journey. That's just part of becoming an adult is learning to see people as three-dimensional. If you are constantly thinking of people as two-dimensional and you start having sexual relationships with people, those sexual relationships are going to be two-dimensional by proxy. And that can be very damaging. It can lead to attitudes of dominance, you know, the idea that your agenda is the purpose of the sexual encounter. If a woman is confident and you're sexually open, she can say no to something sexual, and that's cool. <laughs> like, you have to not think of it as you being denied something. Like, that's really important. Now, you might not think of them as an object, but what you do with that thought process of going, well, they have denied me doing this sexual thing, is you are, you're, you're framing them into they exist sexually for you. It may just be a small moment in your whole sexual life where you objectify someone, but you're still objectifying them. And it might not be that small for them. And it might not. No, it could be a massive thing for them. Men, women, how many people in sexual relationships have done something they didn't want to do, which they did not enjoy because they felt they had to? Back in the day, James admits that sex was largely all about him. And now it's about him and his partner but if you think that means his sex life has taken a hit. I'm having the best sex of my life. And, you know, yeah, that comes with experience, but it also comes with being with someone sexually that you are comfortable with. I also feel comfortable enough to ask for that outside of the bedroom. You know, when you start having sex and all of the sex stuff is happening in the bed in the moment, you know, and you get older and you're like, oh, I can plan this. Like at breakfast. Like, we can be having breakfast and go, hey, so if we've got the energy tonight, shall we eat? And then, yeah, okay, well, I'll pick up this. Do you need that? Okay, yeah, all right. Do you just want to text me a list? And I'll go shopping on the way and when we'll get... Funnily enough, if you actually put some planning and effort into it, it's definitely going to be a much more fulfilling experience. Mm. I feel like we need to get you back for, like, a sexy, sexy planning, sexy workshop. No, no, I'm good. I'm good on theory. I'm, I'm <laughs> I, I have no game. Show me your sex. No, no. <laughs> Okay, there's one more thing that James brought up 
maybe as a joke, maybe not a joke, you can ask him. And it was in response to this idea that guys should be up for anything all the time. Because there's actually one thing that a lot of straight guys are still a bit weird about, butt stuff. I'm a hypersexual man. I'm up for anything. I want to stick this vibrator in your ass and suck your balls. Okay, that's gay. That's definitely gay. Like, <laughs> Listeners, I am not saying that is the correct response. I mean, if you're open, give it a shot. It's more fun than you think. <laughs> butt stuff. It's more fun than you think. <laughs> oh, we're not going to end there, though. Okay, here's James with some final thoughts. One of the most joyful things in your adult life is when you are in a sexual relationship with a sexual partner that isn't about where we do all the freaky stuff. It's about honesty. There is such a freedom that comes with being able to be sexually honest with the person you are having sexual encounters with. And I think that honesty is a term of vulnerability that we are not necessarily taught to embrace. Thank you so much, James. That's James Nikisa, and his podcast is called Eating Fried Chicken in the Shower, which I know sounds sexy, but actually it's about mental health. Go listen. Time now for another friend of Bang. So many friends here today. I'm Etta. I'm currently working as a disability advocate and a writer. Etta Bollinger was part of a panel in an earlier episode, but I've wanted to go back to her for ages. And because disability voices are one of the many that are often missed out in conversations around sex positivity, this felt like a really good excuse to do that. So a bit of background. Etta has cerebral palsy and in university her studies focused on gender and sexuality stuff and she ended up writing academic work about sex ed and disabled people's experiences of that. Or, as it turned out, the absence of that. She puts it like this. And not being able to see themselves reflected and sort of going, how does this fit in my life? Does it mean it can be part of my life? And the experiences that Etta heard about were pretty similar to her own. It's not really fair, I suppose, to load that on teachers to cater exactly to everybody's experience, but it's also... As a teenager in a classroom with your peers, you're not going to put your hand up and say, hey, what about me? Etta also identifies as queer. And while being queer can be really isolating for many young people, that wasn't the case for her. The fact that that's got like a community behind it and a history behind it gave me another way to look at myself as a disabled person as well. That the queer rights movement has ultimately this kind of thing running through it it's about love and it's about a really positive thing. Mm. And I think disability often gets... It's not as easy to identify in that way because I don't think broader society has moved past the idea that it's a negative. So you took some of that, you were able to take some of that messaging from the queer community and apply it to yourself as a disabled woman? Yeah, I think so. One of the anxieties, at least for people with physical disability and for me personally as well is like thinking maybe much earlier on than you might otherwise how's this going to work for me and being queer actually let me off the hook in terms of this is not going to look normal anyway normal normal yep there's air quotes going on yeah 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 it's about queer bodies and it's about disabled bodies and neither of those are going to kind of conform There's a whole lot of other stuff to consider when we're looking at sex positivity through the lens of disability, and we don't have time to go over everything now. It's also worth noting that some physical disabilities affect people differently, and that's the case with cerebral palsy. But one part of sex positivity, 
is body positivity, or the idea that all human beings should have a positive body image. But if broader society still hasn't moved past the idea that disability is a negative or a deficit... To even get to the point of saying, I'm going to be sex positive, you have to push past a whole lot of assumptions and maybe internalised stuff about your body first and its desirability and your ability to be in your body in a way that is positive as well. Mm. If you express feeling positive about your body, there's a kind of disbelief. And I've honestly had this from strangers on the street wanting to come up to you and being like, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't live your life. And so there's a kind of immediate pushback around being positive as kind of an act of resistance, I think. But it also doesn't allow for a lot of space to to show some vulnerability and not have somebody else take that as that's actually what what they think. I knew they actually weren't that yeah, happy. Yeah, they body. couldn't. Yeah, they couldn't possibly be what happy with a disabled life and happy with a disabled body. Growing up, I suppose, a lot of people, when they tried to talk to me about relationships, would say, oh, you'll find somebody who'll look past your disability. The intent is a caring thing. And I suppose, especially if you're talking to a really young person, what a complicated thing to work through. But what I actually would want, I think, is someone that looks at the whole of you and goes, yeah, I still want it. Like, it's really important to me that people don't just pretend it's not there. <laughs> you it's know? like people who say, I'm race blind, or whatever. It's like, yeah. well, actually, mate, like, <laughs> no one is, for <laughs> no, sure. Obviously, yeah. let's just have it on the table. Yeah. And then at least, and then at least if tensions do come up around it. It's out in the open and not like an elephant in the room. Yeah. Or mm-hmm. Yeah. It really, for me, is just the thing around having a safe space to be like, yeah, I've never tried this before or I'm worried about this thing Mm. or like this position is comfortable and this position's uncomfortable or like um I think one of the vulnerabilities that you have with a physical disability is like how can I be an active participant in this or the assumption that you might just be lying back a pillow queen yeah and I really don't (laughs) want to be a pillow queen and that's kind (laughs) of the assumption that people sometimes will make Okay, in case you don't know what a pillow queen is, it's slang for someone who prefers to receive sexual pleasure rather than return the favour. To finish, I asked Etta what she'd say to baby Etta, if she could go back in time and provide some reassurance. Yeah, that it's going to be fine. I think I would also, I'd want to get to a place faster, maybe around, it's not that somebody's going to come along and be very good to you and see past everything that they have to help you with because of your disability, they're going to come along and want in because they want in, you know, and you're going to figure out the rest together as you go along. Yeah. Thank you so much, Etta. Now we're starting to come full circle. We started by talking about how sex positivity as an idea is a really good thing, but how as it's become more mainstream, its messages have been distorted into the idea that women should be up for anything. And that means that people end up doing things sexually that they might not be into because they think they should be into it. But as we heard from Etta just now, some communities haven't even gotten to the point where they feel they can explore and express their sexuality without shame. And we're going to hear one more voice like that. Women of colour are never included in anything that's sex positive ever. 
and I consider myself extremely sex positive, um, but I often feel like I had to get there on my own and nobody helped me and I had no support and it was really hard. This is Lamia Imam. She was born in New Zealand. Her parents are Bangladeshi Muslim and she's lived in Bangladesh, studied in Canterbury, worked in Parliament and for the Ministry of Justice in Wellington and recently finished her master's in Texas, which is where she is now. And like our Christian friend Shelley, Lamia was taught to prize virginity and purity. In fact, as she describes it, she was taught that if you had sex, you were a tainted person and nobody would want to be with you. And so I really believed that. I believed in waiting for marriage. I believed in only having sex with one person. And I stuck to those beliefs for a very long time. It wasn't until I was in my early 20s that I actually knew that women even masturbated. I actually read Cosmopolitan to figure this out. (laughs) Um, I remember very vividly there was a how-to guide. I was angry at myself and the rest of the world because I couldn't figure out why this was so wrong because it felt like a function of your body. I even went and I tried to figure out where in the Quran it says you shouldn't masturbate or you shouldn't feel sexual or you shouldn't have sex. Like I went to my own text to try and figure out if I was what I was doing was wrong. You know, I thought, hey, even if I wasn't having sex, at least I could have had like seven or eight, ten solid years of orgasms without having sex. I didn't even know women who look like me kissed. I, I still remember the first person I ever kissed in public, and I thought everybody would be looking because <laughs> brown people don't kiss in public. Um, I'd never seen my parents kiss in my life. I didn't even think that men would find me sexy because I just had never seen someone like me or someone who looked like me in a sexual light. Lamia told me that in her experience, Sex is seen as a wonderful and important thing under Islam, so long as you're married. But it's absolutely not okay if you're not married. Which led to some pretty conflicting thoughts for her when she did become sexually active, before finding a husband. I still remember when I first did, the first thought that went through my head was, well, it's over now, right? Like, I can never say that I'm a virgin and that means I'm a pure good person, like, But then the next day I got up and I thought, I'm still the same person I was yesterday. Literally nothing has changed. So why am I all of a sudden a bad person? But telling her mum was a different matter. And she hadn't actually really intended to, but then one day they were talking in the kitchen and her mum made this comment kind of in passing. I think she was trying to warn me, like, don't go down that path of having sex with men because you think it might be really good. It's not that great, is what she was trying to tell me. At that point, I just couldn't hold it in anymore. And I turned around and said, you know, I've had sex. It's really great. (laughs) And I could see that all the blood had been sucked out of her body and she just became a dead person right in front of me, you know. And so it took her a full, you know, few minutes to recover. And then she said, do you really think it's great? And I was like, yeah, I mean, it's not always great with, you know, every single person, but... Um, if you, you know, and she's and the, and then she's realizing it's been more than one person. And, <laughs> With all and, the men. Um, <laughs> yes, yes. And at that point, she realized I will never get married because the one thing I had to offer was gone. Right. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, how else is she going to market me to the world? So um, because it's obviously not going to be, you know, my bubbly, awesome personality or all the education and my intelligence. It's none of that. No. So, um, The fact that, you know, I'm above everybody else because I'm a virgin and that's gone now. For the record, Lamia is engaged to be married, so someone managed to see some good stuff about her despite her not being a virgin anymore. 
But because she grew up without a voice like hers showing her how to deal with this stuff, now that we've positioned her as that voice for others, what does she want to say? It doesn't matter what you choose. It doesn't matter if you choose to have sex before marriage. It doesn't matter if you have to choose to after marriage. If all the people in the world are engaging in this one activity, you should treat this like kind of eating food. You know, it's an essential of life. Do you want to eat food that's not seasoned and not salted properly and has nothing in it? No, we all want to have good food. I feel like the powers that be, whether it's our society, whether it's our parents, whether it's, you know, our religious advisors, our pastor, priest or imam, they want to tell us that this is bad because this is a way to kind of make sure that we don't step out of line. And from my perspective, I feel like it's specifically designed to control women because once you figure out your sexual assertiveness, you just become a more assertive person in, in general and you're probably less likely to take any shit from anyone. And the patriarchy out there does not want that. <laughs> One of the ways we can dispense with some of that is by empowering ourselves sexually. I know that sounds like a crazy thing in this world full of problems, but I do think that it does make a difference and it does change who you are as a person. Thank you so much, Lamia. So in summary, sex positivity as an idea is great. All people should feel free to explore their sexualities without shame, provided, of course, that that doesn't happen at the expense of other people. But if you don't know what you want or how to communicate that, you can get into trouble. As with much of this stuff, there's no clear answer. But as Melissa Fabello put it to me, Just think about stuff. (laughs) Just think about it. You know, be inquisitive, be self-reflective. I think that that is a positive thing and allows you to explore your sexuality in deeper, more valuable ways. That's it for season three of Bang. Thank you so much for listening, for getting in touch and for telling your friends to listen. And if you haven't done it yet, do go rate us. Actually, do it right now. Pull out your phone, scroll down, see those stars? Yeah, touch the fifth one. (laughs) And subscribe if you haven't. Bang was produced by me, Melody Thomas, and engineered by William Saunders, the ever-patient William Saunders, with occasional help from Mark Chesterman and Phil Bench. Adam McCauley acted as vocal coach, and the executive producer was Tim Watkin. And to everybody who reached out to share their stories with all of us, thank you so much. Till next time. <laughs> <laughs>